If you have a Bible, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, it's where we'll be this morning. If you don't have one with you, there should be one in the pew there in front of you. You can take that. And if you do not own one, you can take that one there in the pew home with you. That one can be yours. I just encourage you to read it if you do take it. But Ephesians 4, uh, 25 is where we'll be starting and we'll finish the chapter all the way through 32. You guys have someone in your family maybe who's notorious for walking into the room when you're halfway through a movie and then they ruin it by asking you a ton of questions. I don't know if you have that in your family. I think all families have that. Or maybe they're only five minutes late to the movie and they still are able to ask 45 questions that something happened in the five minutes. It's really annoying. You know, and you say, you know what, just leave. Let me watch this on my own. I say that because I kind of I think about that as we go through series together. It really is difficult when we miss a week to catch up unless you're doing that on your, on your own. We've been in Ephesians now for a long time together and we're only really halfway through. And so sometimes I try to do some recap, but I don't want to spend all our time doing recap. But it is important to know where we are at in Ephesians to help us grasp all that is being said and all that is being understood. And last week, what we noticed as we were reading part of Ephesians 4 together is that Paul was telling this church and reminding this church, saying, hey, remember, in Christ, the old you is gone, the sin, the shame, the guilt, all that stuff is gone out of your life because of Christ saving you. And now the new you is clothed in righteousness. And so he started to talk about now you need to live this certain way, which we're going to focus on uh, here this morning. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then also again in Colossians 3, 9 through 10, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so Paul's actually very consistent throughout the books that he has written for us in saying that when God saves us through Christ, when we are a Christian now, which you'll hear a lot of people say that they're Christian, but as Christians, there is to be a change. There's to be a difference in your life. Now, it's not going to be perfection. It's, and it might not even be like an instantaneous change where, man, now all of a sudden, as we'll see today, I never get angry. I don't think that that's really going to happen in your life. But we should see a change that at least is gradual, a change of heart, a change of work ethic maybe, which we'll talk about some today. There needs to be these changes in your life because God has changed you. And we now live for him, for his glory. And so I wanted to read those other passages just so you could see some parallel passage, passages to show us again that as believers, we are actively glorifying God by living out what he has done for us. And so there is this change in our life. And today what we're going to see is actually five things that Paul lists as attributes of the new self. Five things that if God has really saved me, if, I, if I'm really a Christian, has really done this work in my life, these are five things then that he is going to work in my life and I am going to work in my life to grow in. 
to see this happen. So again, it's five things. Now, this isn't like some complete list where you could walk away today saying, if I do these five things, I'm perfect. We're not, we, can't, we can't hold to that, right? But there will be some things. If you remember, uh, I said the second half of Ephesians, for those, those of you who are doers, those people who make lists and you love to check your list off, like you're actually accomplishing things through the day, you just love doing that. Today, you'll be able to walk out with a little list. Okay? And by tomorrow, you'll feel really guilty about yourself because you're not going to check any of them off. I promise you. Okay? But we will walk out with a list of, okay, these are, these are some things that God is working in my heart and in my life, and I can work on them as well. And so hopefully that'll be helpful for you. But we need to remember, I want to remind us of this. When we read this passage, Paul is writing to a local church. These people are Christians, and he is encouraging them to be united together, be united together in Christ, and these commands follow that. This is a way for you to be united. These are some things to be united around that you'll see each other growing and serving in. And so again, this is living out the new life. I don't want anybody to leave here today thinking this. If I do these five things, then God will love me, and definitely then I'll get to go to heaven. That's not what that is based off of. All right? It's not some ticket to heaven based off of what you do or how well you achieve these things. Our ability to be in heaven with God is only through the blood of Christ and what he has done for us. We rest solely on that and nothing else. We look to him for our salvation. We say it's the works that he has done that saves me, not the works that I do. And so I just want that to be very clear as we, as we continue to go forward here and we look at this list. We do this to glorify God for what he has already done in our life. So look at verse 25, and we'll read to the end of the chapter here. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we see these five different things, and we'll go through them this morning as quickly as we can. Verse 25, Paul says that we are no longer to lie, but we are to speak truth now as believers. As we see Jesus' life on this earth, one of the things that we notice is Jesus always spoke truth. In fact, in John 14, he calls himself the truth. He says, I am the truth. And at times, what we see in Jesus' life is when he spoke truth to people, it really ruffled them up. They, they got frustrated and they got angry at the things that he was saying. But every single time that Jesus would do this, as he would speak the truth, we would notice that he's doing this uh, in a loving way. He's doing this out of love in his heart for the people who are listening. So sometimes the truth was difficult, but it needed to be heard for the Pharisees' example. Or they, he needed, they needed to hear the things that Jesus was saying. Now, many of them would not respond how they needed to and fall on their face before Jesus and recognize him as fully God and fully man, as the Savior. But Jesus was still doing this because of love 
for them, of, of the truth that needed to be shared and needed to be spoken of. Now, we, as people who've been saved by Christ, we are to be living like Christ. It's not odd that Paul would say this. He says, we are called to be people of truth and people who speak truth. Now, this is something that's been around a long time. If you've been in church at all in your life, and I don't even really care what kind of church it was, my guess is you've heard of the Ten Commandments. This is one of the Ten Commandments, right? It's commandment number nine, that we are not supposed to lie. Do not lie. And so again, Paul's not coming up with something crazy here. This is something uh, that is of old, that God had established long ago, that his people should not lie. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, he would say, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so Jesus himself, in talking about your own word, that you need to be behind your own word. If you say yes, it needs to mean yes. Right? If you say no, it needs to be no. And so there's some honesty behind, behind that. And so lying, as you know, I'm sure, plays itself, itself out in a lot of different ways. It could simply just be saying something that isn't true. Right? Maybe saying you were somewhere when really you were not. It could be as easy as that. There's other ways that it plays out. Maybe in how you deal with other people. Maybe selling things that you know are broken or almost broke. Maybe selling things for just too much money. You know you're selling it for way too much money. Or maybe selling things uh, that just shouldn't be sold altogether. Or maybe taking advantage of someone in their ignorance and buying something from them and essentially ripping them off. And you know you're doing it the whole time. That's a form of lying. Sometimes we lie to our place of employment or to the school that we go to, right? We don't really work as hard as we could. We clock out early all the time. Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's a half an hour, but nobody notices. <clears throat> we cheat on our assignments at school or on our tests. We give false reasons for tardiness, even though it's just laziness, but we don't say that. We have excuses, whatever that might be. I don't think I need to sit here today and list all the ways that we lie, but you get a little taste of it. Even though it's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's probably one of them that we look at and we say, pretty, okay, don't lie. That's what we teach little kids. It becomes really easy for us to see how often we really lie. And it's a struggle in our life, how we lie sometimes just so we don't feel awkward around somebody. They ask you a question and you know the answer, but it's going to make you really awkward if you tell them the truth. And so you're like, yeah, I'm going to skirt this truth here. And we lie, right, to get around it. Well, Paul here warns us of this. And he reminds us that if we are members of each other, remember, he's, he's, he's writing to a church. If we are members of each other, which we've been talking about, we're the body of Christ here as Christians, we are the body together, then what is the purpose, what is the gain when we lie to each other? If you lie to me, if I lie to you, what does it really help? Because we are of the same body. And so when I hurt, you hurt. When I have joy, you have joy. God has put us together in this way. And so what, why is it helpful? Where is it helpful to lie? Paul's encouraging us as a church family to be willing to be truthful in all things to each other. Why? Because we care for each other. And the best thing that we can do is speak truth to each other and love each other in that way. Well, Paul goes on after that in the second one in verse 26 and 27, and he talks about anger. 
And the, you might have noticed this was also in the Psalms that we read. It's one of the reasons why we read it. But it's almost as if he quotes straight from Psalm 5. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Anger is something that I think plagues many of us today. Ecclesiastes 7.9 speaks about anger. And it says something interesting. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. I think this is a very telling thing for our time, isn't it? Outrage, people so angry at everything all the time, no matter what it is. I mean, it can be the, the smallest little thing. I told you this before. If you want to see anger, go to, go to a high school sporting event and just sit in the stands. You're going to see anger. You're going to see people yelling at 13-year-old kids. I mean, just, just yelling at them. You're going to see people yelling at officials who are getting paid not much at all for how dumb they are and how ignorant they are or at coaches for how stupid they are and all these different things. And, and at the end, you're like, what, is, what does this matter? What does any of this matter? If, if we win, if we lose, yeah, I'm not trying to raise losers. I'm not trying to be that way. But really, in the end, what does it matter? Well, I think it's just the anger that we have. And so I think this really is a struggle for many of us today. I don't think, though, that it's just unique to our day and age because Paul thought that it was worthy enough to write 2,000 years ago to this church to tell them, don't be angry. Now, I know what some of you are going to say. It doesn't actually say here to never be angry. Uh, in that, I would agree, yet you need to notice verse 31, of which we haven't got to yet, but verse 31 does say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So you could go to that verse to speak to the fact that probably shouldn't be angry. You might say, well, what about righteous anger? Jesus went into the temple and he, he flipped the tables and he, he kicked the chairs right and drove all the people out. That was righteous anger. We can't say that Jesus sinned because he was sinless. To that, I would say, yes, you are correct. I would probably have two comebacks to that one, though. Number one, you're not him. You're not Jesus. And I would dare say that most of the time, when we claim righteous anger, if we really look at ourselves, I would say, is it really righteous anger? Is it really free from sin? It's free from pride. It's free from arrogance. It's free from all of those things as we, as we hold this anger within us. Is it really righteous? I would say it's very hard to come by people who are legitimately expressing righteous anger. Now, we as the church, we as Christians, I think, have the right to be angry at some things that we see happening in our, in our culture. I'll take an easy one for many of us, is abortion. It's an easy one to get angry at. It's hard for us as Christians who believe that at conception, life is there, that God has created life. And it's hard for us as Christians to hear the statistics of the number of people then who have been killed and called abortion, isn't it? It's very difficult for us to hear that. And that is going to bring about anger at how that is happening. Now, how that then plays out, I think, is important for us. We have to handle that anger the right way. Because Paul goes on when he talks about anger, he says, be angry and do not sin. He adds to it, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, remember that as Paul writes this, he's writing it again to the church. And so it's it's more specifically pointed to my relationship with you, your relationship to me, and the people in this room. And it's important for us that as we face situations that frustrate us or even anger us, Paul says very clearly, 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't allow that to happen. Because this is where we start to see that this anger is actually sinful. It's sinful because it's something we're harboring. It's something that we're holding on to. And as this anger lasts for days and days and days, what it does is it leads to hurt. And so all of a sudden, anger within the body of Christ becomes a very serious situation. I'd said before, I hated as a youth pastor hearing that two of the youth were dating. It was like, oh my gosh, okay. Our youth group's going to split here pretty soon. Because this isn't going to last. They're probably not going to get married. And what's going to happen is they're going to break up over who knows what, something, again, insignificant and dumb. And now I'm going to have parents feuding. I'm going to have parents who don't like each other because these kids don't like each other. And for sure, the girls are going to feud. There's going to be a split. There's going to be a frustration. Right? And there's going to be all this anger. And, and it was amazing how this little, really, I'm not trying to put down your relationship, teens, insignificant thing could really fracture a youth group, could really fracture a good thing that was going. We have Bible study together. We're learning. Things are going great. And now so-and-so said something about so-and-so. And now all of a sudden, things are starting to split. There's anger within this group. And, and as it sits and as it, as it stews, it leads to more and more hurt. And this isn't something that Paul says. Paul says you do not let this happen. Do not go to sleep when you are angry. Do not let this be a part of your life. Because as we know, and maybe you've been a part of this before, but it just leads to hurt feelings. Wedges start to be driven between church members, and oftentimes they're one-sided. Or maybe it's just a misunderstanding that happened, but it hasn't been dealt with appropriately so that wedge continues to divide and continues to go. Because look what Paul continues to say. Don't let the sun go down your anger. And what? And give no opportunity for the devil. I think it's important for us as, as Christians to realize something very serious is I don't think you're as strong as you think you are when it comes to the ploys of Satan. Because I know for a doubt, I know without a doubt, some of you right now are sitting there and you're holding on to anger and what you are doing is you're getting angry at me because you're saying, well, number one, my anger is righteous. I can guarantee that. And number two, I'm strong enough to control it. And I'm telling you, wrong probably on both fronts. Wrong probably on both fronts. Satan is probably using your anger to just rip you up inside. To make you angry at all types of things so that now your fuse is so small with everything that you find anger just to be a normal occurrence in your life. It's hard for you to drive to Kroger without being just absolutely ticked off at something. You see the gas prices go up and you become rage-filled. That, that's me sometimes. Gas went up three cents? That is absolutely ridiculous. This is, this is horrible. And then I started thinking about it and I'm like, it's going to cost me 60 cents more. And I'm furious about it. There's times I've drove miles to a different gas station just because I refused. And I realized I just spent more money. I just spent more money driving there like a dum-dum. Why? Because I'm so angry. I'm just so angry about it. You see, Paul says, this is what Satan does. As you harbor anger, as you harbor this in your heart and you let the sun go down again and again and again on your anger, it has an impact on your life and thus it has an impact on the body of Christ that you're a part of. 
So we have to make sure we are working to rid ourselves of that anger. Paul goes on, verse 28. This is an interesting one. Seems curious. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him harbor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, Paul goes to the eighth commandment of the Ten Commandments, and he brings up to this church, hey, don't, don't steal. Again, it seems like an interesting thing because, maybe, I don't know, theft is just running rampant in churches all, all over the place. I, I don't personally see that happening. But yet, Paul mentions this as something very important. Now, I think, again, these are, these are heart things, and hopefully, right now we're doing a class on the Ten Commandments, and I'm sure they're talking about this in there, but we see that stealing can go a lot of different ways, just like lying. I mentioned some of them, actually, when I was talking about lying. But there are, like I said, a lot of ways to steal. Those who gain riches from dishonest gain, maybe they lie, maybe they cheat, maybe they take advantage of the downtrodden and the hurting. You know, I think of things that we see pop up in different places, like you see the fast cash loan places around town. Who's that taking advantage of? The downtrodden, the people who are hurting, and then they charge them just exorbitant amounts of interest that they can't get out of. And so the people who are hurting, who are thinking they were getting ahead because they were getting their cash fast, they just get farther into the pit. But those places make money off of money off of money. Probably say the same about the lottery and other things. But maybe in our life, in our line of work, maybe we find ourselves doing things that are similar. There's many ways that this plays out. And Sadly, at times, we're so lost in it because it's just become hard for us to even see and notice that what we are engaging in is actually theft, is actually robbing people. But notice what Paul says instead. He warns us against stealing, but what does he say? He says, let him labor. And so as Christians, there is actually a call for us to work. Not just to go work and doing missionary work and doing charitable deeds, but actually as Christians, we are called to work. I remind you, in the Bible, work was created before sin. So work is not sin, even though many of us see it that way at times. Work is not sin. Work is a good gift that God actually gave us. And so we are called as Christians to be those who labor. I really believe this, but if I went to your boss... And I said, hey, how is so-and-so doing? What should be said as a Christian is they're a fantastic worker. I trust them wholeheartedly. When they say yes, I believe it's yes. When they tell me they're sick, I actually believe they're sick and at home sick. When they're at work, they work hard. I can trust them with things. Right? That's who we are supposed to be. And that's what Paul is saying. If you go and labor, go and work. Don't be a beggar. Don't be anything like this. Go and work and he says, do honest work with your own hands. Right? Go and do this work. But what is so interesting about this is our motivation in this work. Notice our motivation when it comes to the body of Christ. He says uh, that we do it. Why? So that we may have something to share with anyone in need. Now let me ask you this. This is very pointed and very honest. When you go to work, is there any motivation behind it so that you can go to work to give it to somebody else? That was, that was hard for me, reading that. Because I hear men say all the time, oh, I'm supposed to support my family. I'm supposed, that's why I'm going to work or to help with this or you know, whatever it might be. I got this second job because we want to go on a vacation. Da, 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 da. I very rarely ever hear, 
I'm actually working overtime so I can uh, help out people in the church because I know there's great needs. That's actually what we're called to do. To give, to be able to give. Now, I'm not telling you that you should feel guilty when you go on vacation because Ecclesiastes is full of places where it says, enjoy the blessings that God gives you from your labor. And you should do that. Don't feel guilty about going out to eat. right? Don't feel guilty about any of those things. But when it becomes all about us, what Paul is equating that to is stealing. You're actually stealing from your church family is what you're doing. And we are supposed to be caring for one another. Not just through the offering plate, which is a different sermon, which you're supposed to do as well. But even as believers, as you see needs, you meet those needs for each other. Because why? You love each other. And you care for each other. And so as we work hard, we are doing that with one of the motivations to care for one another. I do wonder if this has been lost in America, and the churches of America, we've become so individualistic that we've seen creep into our own body where we can become selfish. This is mine. I've earned this. If you want something, go earn it. Go do it. But yet we aren't supposed to just be like that, right? We are supposed to help people who are in need and care for them and help them get back on their feet. All right, verses 29 through 30. We are encouraged to talk each other up, build each other up, and to encourage one another. Paul warns us of corrupted talk within the body of Christ. And I think really this is one of the most destructive things in church is people talking bad about the church, talking bad about each other within the church. And I've got to say, it is rarely justifiable. Rarely. It's rarely justifiable to hear something bad about a church that's like theology-driven or doctrine-driven or, or a fault that there's just no love in that church, actually. They're not really caring or whatever it might be. Most of the time when I hear destructive talk, not even just about our church, but even other churches, it's not justifiable. It's not worth saying because it's not building up, it's not encouraging in any way, shape, or form. And what happens is when this talk starts to happen, it, it creeps everywhere. And it begins to rot and destroy and trust within the church starts to fade. Good thoughts about the church seem to start to fade away. People forget about the 95% of great things that are happening in the life of the church that they're a part of. And they just focus on the 5% or the 2%. And all of a sudden you have a, a disjointed body who knows that there's frustrations. And when you walk into the building, you sense it. An uneasiness. There's an uneasiness here. And what is it? It's usually because a lack of obeying this that Paul is talking about. Of being a place where the family encourages each other and builds each other up instead of throwing each other down all the time. Now listen, that, I, again, I, I'm speaking to me. I, I'm a person where, I don't know, for me growing up, playing different sports and different things, my coach could tell me a million times, Tim, that was great. Tim, you did this. Okay, whatever. Out one ear, you know, in one ear, out the other. But, but what are the bad things? What do I need to work on? Right? What's the struggles? That was always more motivating for me. And that's the way I work in my own self and in my, in my own head. And so a lot of times that then plays out. I feel bad for my kids a lot of times. Oh, you ran great today. You actually ran faster than you ever ran. Did you actually run as hard as you could, though? I mean, seriously, did you? I saw you kind of slow down. That kid at the end passed you. Really? 
You're not faster than him. Look at him. I mean, that stuff just seems to come out. And why? It'd probably be much better for my kids if I was just very encouraging. You did great today. You really did awesome. I saw that stretch. You looked really tired, but I saw you push through it. I saw you almost fall down, but you kept, you kept going. Did you give it your best today? Yeah, Dad, I did. Awesome. You did great. I'm proud of you. I would have to guess that that goes a lot farther in somebody's life. And it's the same with us in the church family. Did you, did you feel the temperature in there today? I was so hot. I was freezing cold. Whatever it might be. We started late. They started early. Right? This song was sung. Whatever, whatever, it, might, whatever it might be. That's what we're going to focus on? Is this encouraging? Is this building each other up? Because this is what Paul is saying to do. He's saying, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion. So again, I'm not saying go around and make things up. You know, I'm not saying to, to lie, to make it sound good. No, it says, as fits the occasion. Encourage people. Build them up. But there's a warning here that it may give grace to those who hear. So number one, it is like the sweetest of tastes when somebody encourages you when you need encouraging. I mean, it's just one of the best things. I, I, I'm sure all of you have experienced it before. Just whatever little thing it is that your spouse did or said to you or your, your boss or whatever it might be, you know how good that can feel. And you have the ability to do that for other people. So do it. But what does he go on to say? Verse 30. When we don't do this, this is what we're doing. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, almost every single commentator that I read connected this verse to the verse before it and said, this is what you're doing. When you're talking bad about your church family, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a big deal in Scripture, to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's a very sinful thing to do. And so as we talk bad about each other as individuals, did you see what they wore today? Pfft, can't believe it. Did you see this? Did you hear that? Whatever it might be, I want you to know this. You are grieving the Holy Spirit when you do that. I'm grieving the Holy Spirit when I do that. Because just as easy as it is for you to get frustrated at me, I want you to know that plays the other way around too. I can get frustrated at you. But it does no good. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be people who are encouraging each other, lifting each other up, building each other up, and being faithful to that because we care for one another. And so Paul ends this way. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you within our body. And I would hope that this spills out to those around us as well. What should define us as Christians is kindness, tenderness, and a forgiveness that we experienced in Christ. Within Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, if you come here often, this needs to be an atmosphere of love, of support, and care that really only Christians can understand. The outside world will not understand this because we are the ones who've been forgiven by Christ. They haven't. 
And so we know how sinful we are. We know how much we do not deserve to be a child of God, but yet in God's grace, he saved us through his son Jesus and forgiven us of our sins. And because of that, we're kind to each other. Because God did that for you too. My fellow church member, my fellow brother and sister in the Lord, God saved you as well. And so I want to be kind to you. I want to be tender-hearted with you. And I want to be willing to forgive you all the time. To forgive you. You say, but yeah, what they did really hurt me. Okay. Could you lower your own pride? They need to lower theirs. You're probably right, but you can only handle yours. So could you lower your pride? Could you be kind to them still? Tender-hearted to them? Be willing to forgive them? We are kind to each other because he was kind to us. We have tender hearts towards one another because Jesus changed our heart of stone. You remember that? Ezekiel 36. There's a promise there. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from your, all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. If you're, if you're telling me you're a Christian today, then this is, this is what's happened in your life. And the way it plays out is you are tender-hearted to your fellow believers, at least. But then also we forgive each other. Why? Because of all people in this world, we know what it's like to truly be forgiven. We know what we deserve, but we know what we've been promised through Christ. And because of that promise, we are willing to forgive again and again and again because he has forgiven us. Well, you have your five things to do this week, all right? Don't lie, don't steal, be kind to each other, all of those things. And here's the encouragement from your pastor. I believe you can do it. Now I'm going to speak truth, but only in Christ. Because if you try to do it on your own, you're going to be very frustrated a little later today. But we can do it through him who saved us. I'm thankful for you guys. I really am. I'm thankful for the kind words that you say very often and that I hear you guys sharing with each other. I'm thankful for the love that you have for one another and how you continue to minister to each other. It does make a difference. I want you to believe that. It makes a difference in people's lives. And the world sees it. And that, that is us being light in a dark world. And so I'm glad that you're doing that faithfully. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for what you've done in our lives as individuals, but also of how you bring us together. God, how you, you've saved us and you've brought us a part of your family, your word says, that you've adopted us into your family, that we can call you Father. And God, we know it's not just Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, but there's many, many people all around the world who you are their Father. You've saved them by the blood of Christ. And so God, we thank you for that. But God, I do thank you for my local church family. Thank you for what they mean to me. God, help us to love each other well, to do the things that you've called us to do. God, continue to work in our lives to mold us and make us. Help us to speak truth. Help us to not struggle with anger. Help us to be kind with each other. Help us to deal with people well. God, we need you to do that in our lives. And so give us the strength to do that each and every day. Help us to not grow weary in doing these good things because, God, we know that it glorifies you and it shows the world what you've done in our lives. And so help us to be faithful to that. And we trust that you are working in us and in those that we get to speak to. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.